this morning. Our text is found in verses 5 through 13. And I'd like for you to stand so that we might read all of this passage together and read it out loud. Uh, I am going to warn you that there are some names that some of you may not want to read, but this is your test. You could uh, lip sync if you'd like through some of the names, but at least move your lips so I, you, you can humor me, if you will. Just, just kidding. Let's read together. Let's read aloud. Verses 5 through 13. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. Shall we pray? By the way, you did good. Father, we thank you and bless you for the opportunity now to come to your word, to study it, and Lord, to show ourselves approved of of your word, rightly dividing it. We pray that you would fill us and anoint us now with your Holy Spirit. Grant us understanding and wisdom. May we be ready to receive, Lord God, your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You all may be seated. Back in the early 90s, I was invited to speak with two other Calvary Chapel pastors at a conference in Milstadt, Austria, given for 105 Italian Catholics who were interested in the doctrines of evangelical Christianity in particular, they were interested in the doctrine of justification by faith alone. For a few weeks before the trip overseas, I I studied the Italian language a little bit, especially phrases that could be used to break the ice, so to speak, in addressing the crowd, as well as in speaking to them individually and having somewhat of a contact with them. Well, I discovered the day that we arrived that I would be the first speaker Uh, This was my initiation, as it were, for traveling with older veteran pastors who said, you go first. So I (laughs) indeed had some ice to break. And so with a room full of strange Italians and an interpreter, who I'll talk about in just a moment, an interpreter standing next to me, I said to all of them, siamo venuti a trovare degli amici. And everybody's heads poked up and they started looking at each other. And then they started to applaud me. (laughs) And I just stood there thinking, what did I say? (laughs) Actually, what I said was, 
we are here visiting friends. And needless to say, as I said, I received this round of applause. The ice was broken and everyone felt comfortable and ready to proceed with the conference. Now the point I want to make is that a connection was made by the use of their native tongue. And it was precious in that hearts were open that week to the things that we presented concerning the love of Jesus Christ and the personal receiving of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Many responded to the gospel and they prayed at the end of that week. They prayed to receive Jesus Christ. Even though they were, there were priests planted among them as spies, uh, you could tell who they were right away. As a matter of fact, as I mentioned, the interpreter, the interpreter, I came to find out, was one of the major assistants to the Pope at that time. And the Pope actually sent him to hear what we were having to say. But they were all touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the love of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that my using a simple Italian phrase brought all of this about. But it had its effect on bringing us all closer together. What I do have to say is that God did it all. God did it all. And he certainly did on that day of Pentecost when the 120 heard the sound of a rushing wind receiving upon each of them tongues of fire and and they each began to praise God in various languages. Now in setting up the events that were to follow, let's go back to where all of this was taking place. We've mentioned a large room, uh, or I should say a room that was large enough to to hold 120 people. And and certainly in those days there were no residences that had any rooms to hold that many. So in looking at at verse 2 of of, uh, Acts chapter 2, we we can find it possible and quite possible that, that that they were in some large area in one of the courts of the temple, since the word house can refer to the temple. So that's quite possible. And this would mean that they could be observed by a larger number of people who were in the temple and the surroundings for the Feast of Pentecost. Now, estimates range from about 100,000 people to nearly 1 million Jews being in Jerusalem at that time. So there were quite a few people going through all of the temple courts and in all of the... uh, Uh, places uh, that uh, not only surrounded the temple, but were within the temple. And what we learn from the text is that the crowd was quite diverse. There were Jews from all across the Roman Empire. If you ever get a chance to look at a map, some of your Bibles may have a map that that deals with the travels of, of Paul, and sometimes they extend it out a little further to the east, and you can see there by a, a sea called the Caspian Sea, which, which lies just south of, of, of some of the Russian Confederate states today and, and uh, just east of Turkey and north of what is modern-day Iran and Iraq. But from all of the regions, all the way to Rome on the west and, and, and east to uh, those particular regions, this is where all of the Jews had scattered in, in somewhat of a diaspora, diaspora. Uh, Parthians from the area southeast of the Caspian Sea. Medes from the region south and southwest of the Caspian Sea. Both of those actually being in what is modern-day Iran. 
the Elamites from the western edge of Persia, again, modern Iran, dwellers in Mesopotamia, the area between the Tigris, the Euphrates River, which is modern-day Iraq, Judea, of course, the area surrounding Jerusalem, and then moving north and, and rather west, Cappadocia, a region in Asia Minor, Pontus, north of Cappadocia, and Asia itself, referring to modern Turkey, and then there were those from Phrygia and Pamphylia, which were regions of Asia Minor. Egypt, of course, we know where that is. Cyrene and Libya. Libya, of course, we know where that is. And Cyrene, by the way, is a city uh, from which a person named Simon came from. Simon, who helped Jesus carry the cross. And then we're told of some foreigners that, that were living in Rome. But they were actually being back home in Jerusalem those who were born Jewish, and those who had converted to Judaism, who are the proselytes. And then again, Jews from the island of Crete, and those living in Arabia. So for all of these surrounding regions, north, south, east, and west, they came. And so there they were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of first fruits. And as we saw last time in verse 4, and of course we only studied the first part of verse 4, but let's read from verse 4 through verse 6. It says, And they, speaking of the 120 who had waited for the promise of the Father, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I want you to, to see that it says, As the Spirit gave them utterance. And then in verse 5 it says, and there, were there, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the sound of the rushing mighty wind, and then of course uh, whatever else was taking place, especially as the, as the voices began to praise God in all of these other languages, uh, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused, it says, because everyone heard them speak. In his own language. Every one of those outside of that 120 heard these 120 speaking in their language. Now a couple of things have to be pointed out here. First of all, the tongues that were spoken by the 120, the tongues that were spoken by these disciples of Jesus Christ in response to the filling of the Holy Spirit were actually known foreign languages. They were known foreign languages, but not known by the 120 and never taught to the 120. They were known languages that they were speaking, but they didn't know the language themselves. They weren't taught the language. They didn't know the language, but they were speaking. How? They spoke these languages as the Spirit, it says, gave them utterance. They had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. They had been filled with the Spirit. And now they began to speak with other tongues. Now, had this taken place today, they would have been speaking English and French and German and, of course, especially Spanish. But I want you to note that these weren't euphoric or frenzied utterances. This wasn't gibberish. This wasn't blabbering. This wasn't just taking one particular syllable and going on and on and on. This was speech in a language that they did not know, but it was a language that was understood. 
They weren't so, these weren't some sort of private prayer languages. These were known languages. This is an important and significant point we need to make. And a distinction has to be made here with what is later to be described as the gift of tongues. Although what happened on the day of Pentecost certainly implied that a gift was indeed given to the 120. In other words, there's no question that it's the same gift in, in Acts chapter 2 that is given later or, uh, and described by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapters 12 through 14. But if we were to ask what is tongues, based on Paul's definition in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, this is what we could understand it to be. Now, this is just a simple definition, but let me give it to you. What is tongues? Tongues was allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through you to God in a language you don't understand and haven't learned by normal means. Well, that can apply certainly in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and it also can apply in Acts chapter 2. But in general, when we consider what the gift of tongues is, first and foremost, it is a language that is addressed to God. Again, based upon 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. It is a language that is addressed to God. Take, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. Paul says this, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So there it is very clear then that this is a language that is addressed to God. Secondly, it is a message that you don't understand. It is a message that you don't understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14, Paul goes on to say this. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, I don't understand. But he's going through the action of speaking this in tongues. If indeed it is a language addressed to God, then it is something being said to God. But he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Thirdly, it can be a known human language or the unknown language of angels. Now, we read this very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, where Paul actually gives us a, a, a parenthetical uh, statement here in all of this particular chapter. And he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And let me interject here that uh, in, in chapters, 12 and chapter, uh, chapters 12 and 14, Paul does deal with, with the gifts of this Holy Spirit. Chapter 13 gives us what truly is the evidence of having the Holy Spirit. You see, some people today say that, you know, the only evidence that there is for, for, the, for having been baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. That's not what the Bible teaches. But Paul does say, in the midst of all of these things that are being given to the church, he says, even though I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I don't have love, I'm just a bunch of noise. It's just a bunch of noise. 
So with that understanding in mind, what we, have to, what we have to know about this gift of tongues is that it is a gift that was used and is used for prayer, for praise, and for personal edification. For prayer, for praise, and for personal edification. In the issue of prayer, we go out to Romans chapter 8, verse 26, a, a, a classical passage that is used when, when dealing with, with, with a prayer uh, that, that doesn't... Uh, isn't understood, but nonetheless, uh, it says in Romans 8:26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercessions, or intercession for us, I should say, with groanings which cannot be uttered, and, and that, in, in, in essence, what cannot be uttered and understood. And so the gift can be used for prayer. It is also used for praise. Now it's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 16 and 17, that Paul would use this in in somewhat a negative uh, connotation, but he says, uh, speaking of of this gift, otherwise he says, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? Now, the giving of thanks is, is tied in together with praise. So when you're praising God, you're giving thanks to God. And so this is the context in which I'm using this, is that he says, you know, how, how can anybody say amen to your giving of thanks if they don't know what you're saying? For uh, verse 17, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other, the other is not edified. He's not blessed by what you're saying because he doesn't understand what you're saying. And if you're praising God and giving thanks to God with an un- unknown tongue, well, you know, you're, you're doing it, but nobody else can be edified by it. And then thirdly, for personal edification... It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So I, I think this is, this is just a very small and short outline dealing with, with what tongues is based on what, what Paul has taught. A language addressed to God, a message you don't understand. It can be a known human language or, or the unknown language of angels. And, and I share all of this because we really want to avoid a bunch of charismatic errors here. Errors that have been, you know, for, for many, many years. Uh, uh, for example, what I mentioned earlier, the fact that people say that the only evidence to having the baptism is that you speak in tongues and that you have to speak in tongues. Or, and if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's not the case. So we want, we want to avoid this, this, these charismatic errors, as it were. So, so let's try to understand the distinction that I mentioned earlier. Because the 120 were baptized with the Holy Spirit that they would have power to be what? To be witnesses. This is what Jesus told them. That they would have power to be witnesses. Now, they were filled with the Holy Spirit to have the ability right then and there to actually witness, which in this case was the miraculous gift of speaking in known languages that they had never learned. Let me also say before we go on, that this has happened even to this day. And is probably happening even now. That God can use this particular gift and has used it in various settings. I've, I've heard Pastor Chuck Smith talk about situations where people have spoken in tongues in a meeting and someone around them have heard their language, their original language, their native tongue being spoken, which nobody else understood, not even the person saying what was being said, but they heard praises unto God in their native language and they went up and testified to that 
and, and, and because of that came to know Christ. I, I was uh, reading uh, something that John Corson had read not long ago. And, and he was talking about a, a, a conference that he had gone to, and I, I believe it was in Washington State, but he'd gone to a conference at this big hotel, a Christian conference, and, and they were meeting in a room where, that, that had a bar in the room. And, and because there were people there meeting, they had to, they had to have a, a bartender behind the bar, even though nobody went to them because they were all Christians, you know, or, or at least nobody wanted to go over there, you know, with everybody around them. But anyway, they were using this particular room. And, and so the bartender was back there cleaning glasses and listening to what was going on. And they had a time of praise and worship. And during that time, somebody actually stood up and began to speak in, in an unknown tongue and, and, and gave uh, somewhat of a message in tongue. And, 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 and because they were doing things decently and in order, someone said, well, we appreciate you sharing this, but there is no interpretation here, so we won't, you know, we won't go on with that. And they went on to some other part of their of their uh, of, uh, of their meeting at the end of the meeting the uh, bartender actually went forward to find one of the leaders of of the uh, of the meeting and he told him he said you know uh, that person that got up to speak he spoke in my native language farsi he was from iran and he heard it very clearly that what that man was saying was praise he was what he was doing was praising God and Jesus Christ and that man came to know Christ that day as his lord and savior this is happening this just recently this was 2000 years ago this was just recent so here again you know what God does is use these things for the sake of being witnesses the baptism of the Spirit, the miraculous gift of speaking in, in, in known languages that people never knew what they were saying and happening still to this day. The distinctions, by the way, that I mentioned between Acts 2 and, and 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 had more to do with the circumstances in which the gifts were exercised than with the gifts themselves. So I want you to see that distinction. But as God gave the gift of the Holy Spirit, as God gave them the baptism, as the baptism came to them, the gift, the, you know, the, 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 the tongues of fire, then, then of course, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, as we studied last time. Out of this came the witness, you see. And think about the numbers for a minute. Think about the numbers that, that were being dealt here. 120 people. Thousands of people in the crowd. We'll find out in, in, in a few uh, more verses here that 3,000 souls would be saved because of the witness. And how those 120 affected 3,000 souls. Now, the second point that I want to make, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but the second point I want to make is a bit more understated, is a bit more subtle, but yet it's all the more important. And it is that all the Jews of this multitude that gathered, they spoke the common languages of that day. They spoke Aramaic. They knew Hebrew. And they probably knew common Greek as well. It was not necessary then for them to hear God being praised in their own native languages. So why the miracle? Why did this happen the way it happened? Why did those 120 begin to speak in other tongues, in other languages that they did, they did not know, but others would know? Why? Let's go back to verses 7 through 12 and let's read those again. 
Acts chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. Then they were all amazed and marveled, it says, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? You know what they're saying here? Hey, these are Galileans here. These people don't know other languages. How would they know our languages? These are just common hicks. With all due respect to hickdom. These are these these people. They don't you know they're just common folk. They don't know these languages. How can they be doing this? Are these not all Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, uh, dwell, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Jews, uh, Cretans, Arabs. I mean, 15 regions, by the way, mentioned here. And they said, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? What does this mean? They looked at the Galileans and they said, man, these, these guys even speak with accents when they talk. Y'all you know, you know, you know what I mean? Those of you from the South, all due respect, my brother lives in Alabama, so you know, I, I give him a hard time about it. But, but we're in Texas, so I mean, what a, what a big difference that is, right? We, you know, we, 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 we hear people from the South talk that way, and we kind of think because they talk that way that they must not know a whole lot of other things, you know. This is why they said it. These are Galileans. Now over there, it wasn't the south. It's the north. (laughs) They spoke an accent up in the north. But here again, they knew them to be common people. They knew that they would not be able to know what all these languages were, but they were speaking them. Why? It was something God was doing, you see. And it is a beautiful and a precious thing that God likes to reveal himself to us in a personal and intimate way. The Lord loves to reveal Himself in a personal way, in an intimate way. That's what He's doing here. He was making a connection with those Jews. He was setting Himself apart for them through those 120 people, those 120 disciples. The Lord was breaking open their hearts so that they would hear the words of Peter and subsequently 3,000 of them would be saved. And here's the bottom line. It was all about revealing Jesus. It was all about revealing the baptizer of the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit. It was all about Jesus Christ. As we shall see later when we enter into the rest of chapter 2. And we hear what, what, what Peter was saying. It was all about Jesus. They didn't stand around and think about, Oh, this is a very wondrous thing that's going on. Let's all... Hey, come on guys, let's all gather together. We want to speak in other tongues too. They were... They were touched to the very heart that they were hearing these 120 speak praises unto God, speaking of the wondrous things of God, speaking of the mighty works of God in their own languages, which they knew those Galileans didn't know. It was God speaking to them. It was God stirring them up, getting them ready for all of this. And that's a special thing, and it is a precious thing, and it is a beautiful thing when God reaches out individually, personally, and intimately to us. 
You know, it's also been said, oh, by the way, 120 people affecting 3,000 people. I, last night I hadn't done the math, and, and all the math teachers let me know, you know, that it's, it's for one of those 120, they affected 25 of the 3,000. One person affecting 25. That's, that's pretty good. How many people do we affect individually for Jesus Christ? By speaking a known language and a known tongue. It's been said that Pentecost was a reversal of the judgment at the Tower of Babel. When God confused man's languages, or when God confused man's language, in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. The judgment of God scattered the people. But God's blessing at Pentecost united the believers in the Spirit. At Babel, the people weren't able to understand each other, but at Pentecost, men heard God's praises and understood what was said. The Tower of Babel was designed to bring praise to men, but Pentecost brought praise to God. The building of the Tower of Babel was an act of rebellion. Pentecost was an act of humble submission to God. What a reversal. How God works to reverse what man has tried to do on his own. The sound of the wind may have drawn the people to the temple court where the believers were, gra- were gathered, but it was the praise of the 120 that truly captured their attention. It was their praise that captured their attention. That brings to mind the thought that our worship prepares the hearts of others. I bet you we didn't, we didn't think about that when we came here this morning. But I want you to think about this the next time you gather with believers in Jesus Christ to worship. I want you to think that our worship can prepare the hearts of others to meet God, to meet Christ, to know the Lord. I'm not talking about worship evangelism. There, there are those who you know, have said, well, let's, let's just you know, go out and sing songs, but for the sake of just you know, Using it as a platform to, you know, we don't, you know what, we don't even need to think about it. You know, we don't need to go through those mental gymnastics and say, we need to, you know, we just need to praise the Lord. We just need to come into this place and start praising God. And doing, doing so unashamedly, doing so with, with, with everything that is within us. I mean, there are those in the church today who think of worship as being a purely Christian thing where where we do it behind closed doors where there are only believers. And yet here in our text, the disciples are praising God, a crowd gathers, and they start asking questions. And when Peter gets up to answer those questions, 3,000 people get saved. They were hearing people worship the Lord, praise God, and, and then they started hearing their own languages and they said, these people are giving uh, to us a testimony of the wonderful works of God. Folks, we've got nothing to be ashamed of when we worship and praise the God who loves us with an everlasting love. We've got nothing to be ashamed about when we come into this place. It doesn't matter who's here. 
The very fact of the matter is there may be some of you here today that you may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Somebody may have brought you here. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord. You've heard a lot about Jesus, but you don't know Him personally. Yet you look around and you see people worshiping the Lord. I hope that you did. The fact of the matter is sometimes, even we as believers, we let things get in the way. We ought to consider this. I heard a comment yesterday on Caleb that really caught my attention. I was driving, so I had it on, and, and you know, I have to be careful because, you know, if a song comes on, I'm, yeah, i got to be careful, you know. Many law enforcement people here, so. So, I, but, but I'm, I'm kind of listening, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm, I had to do a memorial service for somebody yesterday on the other side of town and whatnot. So, so I'm just, I have it on, I'm just listening. But, but, but also I, I, I heard that there was, there was somebody talking, as an author, wrote a book and talking about, uh, see, I don't even know what it was, but I do remember this one thing. And it stuck with me, it stuck with me really hard because he says, at our church, this is one of the things that we kind of stand upon. And he said this, he said, don't let the things that are wrong with you keep you from worshiping what is right with God. Don't let the things that are wrong with you keep you from worshiping what is right with God. Man, I mean, it just struck me like a brick, hit me right in the middle of the face, you know. And I, just, I almost wanted to pull over and write it down, but I kept saying it over and over so I wouldn't, wouldn't forget it. But the fact of the matter is, that is what happens today. When we come to church, we let certain things get in the way. We let certain things become distractions in our life. Or we're so worried, or maybe we're just so... Uh, burdened with guilt over one thing or another, over a sin or whatever, and we let that get in the way of us praising and worshiping God. And it's always that focus on us, or it's a focus on what we're going through, focusing on what we you know, yes, let's come and let's, let's confess our sins because He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, but we've come to worship the Lord. And we ought not to let anything get in the way of that. And if we do things right, if we just get up in the morning and say, Lord God, I don't want to go to church today without having a, a right heart before you. There, you know, I've, I've carried a burden here, but I lay it down right now. I want you to have it because I know that you've taken care of it already on the cross. I want to go with a pure heart and a pure conscience to worship you, to praise you, to honor you. And I don't want to be silent. I want to praise you. I don't want to be like those that stand around saying, well, I'm worshiping God. Because the Bible says that we need to speak these things. We need to resound with praise. We need to rejoice. Psalm 9, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Emphasis on I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. God is telling us here through this psalmist that, that when we praise Him, He's taking care of those distractions for us. He's taking care of them. He's dealing with them. When we praise Him, when we give Him our hearts. 
Psalm 35, verse 18, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. Unashamedly, he says, I am going to do this no matter what anybody says or thinks. Psalm 40, verse 3, David says, He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Do you know that that's what happened on the day of Pentecost? God put a new song in their mouth. They didn't even know the language, but He put a new song in their mouth. And they praised God. Many saw it and feared. Why? Because they heard it in their own language. These disciples didn't know what they were saying, but somebody did. And it says, and will trust in the Lord. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. 3,000 in one day come to know Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The importance of praising God with all of our heart, with the whole heart. Does it affect people? It sure does. If we don't offer unto God everything that is within us, there will be those that say, look at that. Must not really believe. Must not really trust. If they don't, why should I? Now, there will be scoffers, won't there? There will always be scoffers. Just as we see in our text. Whether they see it as, as people praising God or people that don't, there will always be scoffers. There will always be mockers. And notice in verses 12 and 13, it says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. So there were those who were curious, there were others who were critics, there were those who were seekers, there were others who were scoffers. And it's important to note that not all of them were scoffers. There were those who were seeking, seekers as well, gathered around the saints who were praising God. Their opportunity would come soon enough to become saints as well. That is, the scoffers and the seekers. And we've called them the curious, the critical, and the convinced the curious are the seekers, the critical are the scoffers, the convinced are the saints. It's interesting that the scoffers or the mockers here were accusing the believers of being drunk. Since wine is associated with the Holy Spirit, it brings to mind before we go on to the, to the verse of Scripture, how many people today, in the church even today, have fallen into this, this thing about... Uh, years ago called the Holy Laughter Movement or uh, you know, the New Wine Movement or whatever and, 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 and uh, doing things in church services where people are rolling in the aisles and rolling up and down, laughing you know, uncontrollably uh, you know, just uh, some of them barking like, animal, barking like dogs you know, growling like animals, doing all kinds of weird things in church because this supposedly is this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but, but folks that, that's just not biblical and it's not right because Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Quite a different thing. You see, wine is associated with the Holy Spirit in this particular context. Paul is relating the two in contrast to each other. For when a person is full of strong drink, they lose control of themselves, eventually ending up in shame. 
But when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, he has self-control and gives honor and glory to God. You see, the focus isn't on self. The focus isn't on people. The focus is on Jesus Christ. And if I'm in a service and I see people rolling and laughing and screaming and yelling and climbing the walls and, and swinging on the chandeliers, the focus is on that and not on the Lord. Strong drink can give only a temporary thrill. The Spirit gives us a deep satisfaction and it is a joy that lasts. That's the kind of joy that we receive when we have the true filling of the Holy Spirit. And besides what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26, he says, but the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, if I have not love, I'm just sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can control. Self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Folks, these are all signs of of being filled with the Spirit, that we have love and joy and peace and long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithful, gentleness, but self-control. There's one other place where the word mocking is used, by the way. It's used of the Athenians who mocked Paul on Mars Hill. In Acts 17, verse 32, it says, When they they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, same word, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. There will always be mockers. The world will always have its scoffers and its mockers. Today, men scoff at sin. They scoffed at the Savior. They scoff at the saints. They'll always be around. The mocking of the unsaved is one of the enemy's tools as as it has held many a weak Christian in bondage and has kept many a person from Jesus Christ. It's kept many a believer from, from sharing his faith. The mocking. It's interesting that when they mocked those who, those 120 who spoke in those known foreign languages that they didn't know, but somebody else did. That immediately, as we'll see later, that immediately, Peter rises up. You see, the answer to mockery and scoffing is the very thing that these unbelievers mocked. The filling of the Holy Spirit. For that will make the feeblest believer bold. And it is Peter then that we see. And as we'll see next time, it says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, but Peter. There were times when Peter was somewhat bold in his uh, walk with Jesus and in Jesus' earthly ministry, but many times he most, mostly put his foot in his mouth, said things that... Uh, 
wish he hadn't said. There were times when he said boldly, in answer to Jesus' questions, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Lord commended him, but not soon after that, he said something that caused Jesus to tell him, get thee behind me, Satan. But then we know of Peter, that when Jesus was about to go to the cross, Peter, who said he'd stand up for the Lord and even die for the Lord, denied him three times and then ran and hid in shame. That same Peter is now filled with the Holy Spirit. That same Peter who spoke in unknown tongues to him but known to someone else awakened the interest and the perplexity of of those that gathered around and he did something that only he could do through the power of the Holy Spirit. He spoke boldly and preached Christ. And that is why mockers don't need to scare us. Mockers and scoffers don't need to put us in our place. With wisdom, with love, with discernment, and with understanding, we can look back boldly into the face of a mocker and say, Jesus Christ is alive. And I have proof. And we have proof. And we are called to be witnesses of that proof, His resurrection. We are called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. In a world that is dying, in a world that is fading away, in a world that is that really just perishing right before our eyes. But we sit here today. Many of us here sit here today as, as, as testimonies of what God can do to rescue us from perishing. We stand here today safe in the arms of our Lord, safe in the hand of Jesus Christ who says, you know what? The Father's got you in His hand. He's not going to let you go. I've got you in my hand. I'm not going to let you go. We're safe. We can praise God for that without being ashamed. We're not called to be silent. We're called to be witnesses. And so... Let's make that connection. Let's look for every opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And let's be the witnesses God has called us to be. And by the way, let's do it with a known language. The one we know. <laughs> if God changes that, though, let God do it. 
Because God does it all anyway. God did it then, and He's doing it now. Let's pray.